Well, hey everyone, welcome to episode 301 of Stop, Collaborate and Listen with your host, Matt Payne. I recently had an incredible opportunity to teach for Munch workshops in Antarctica. The trip took me from Colorado to the bottom of the globe, where we crossed the Drake Passage for two days and found ourselves immersed in one of the most spectacular landscapes on Earth. On the journey, we were accompanied by several scientists and expedition leaders from Poseidon Expeditions, who helped ensure our trip was a resounding success. I was so fortunate to record with a small group of the expedition team on the tail end of our journey, including Flipper, our Zodiac driver and logistics expert, Piet Vandenbam, the expedition photographer, and Tomas Marina, a biologist and researcher on climate change. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Please keep in mind that we recorded this on a moving boat with lots of background noise, so I hope you can appreciate the authenticity of the recording. Before we dive in, I did want to mention that this week's episode is brought to you by Nature Photographers Network. NPN is an amazing community of like-minded photographers who are generous with their time and helping each other improve in photography. There's an incredibly helpful critique forum for multiple genres of nature photography, and I think you'll get a lot of benefit from joining. For just $49 per year, you can join the community on NPN and gain access to some of the most amazing benefits on the planet, including amazing articles, webinars, discounted tutorials, books, and a lot more. It's an amazing place, and I'd love to see you there. Just head over to npn.link forward slash fstop to join. You can also use the code FSTOP10 for a 10% discount, or you can check out the link in the show notes. Okay, let's get to this week's episode from Antarctica. All right, we are here on the Sea Spirit in Antarctica. It's great to be here. Uh, I'm joined by some amazing guests here. It's the some members of the expedition team from Poseidon Expeditions here on the Sea Spirit. And first of all, thank you all for the amazing experience you gave us this week here in Antarctica. It was truly, I think, people's minds were blown. So that was a big part um, on your behalf. So thank you so much for that. Why don't we go around the table and uh, introduce everyone to my left. We have uh, Flipper. Go ahead. So, hi, Matt. Uh, I'm Flipper, and uh, I'm somebody who fell into this industry. Uh, I'm a businessman. I've been here now 18 years. Uh, I do logistics, naturalist guide, zodiac driver, and I keep coming back because it's the most amazing, unusual place you can ever go in the world. And uh, it is a tourist industry. It's amazing that we can uh, we can manage it so well, and uh, it's something that your guests are gonna really really find amazing. And Pete, hi Matt. Good evening. Um, yeah, so I'm Pete from the Netherlands. I moved a couple of years ago to northern Norway. I'm living at 71 degrees north, and I fell in love with photography. My father is a photographer, and. Uh, yeah, I love wildlife photography. I've been in the industry for a few years now. Mostly whales. Started with research. And uh, for the last two years, I've been working as expedition photographer, traveling between the poles, um, working with the guests, guiding them as much as possible, helping them out, and have a good time with them, really. It's a truly fantastic place we are working at. And I hope you have a feeling of what it is like. Absolutely, yeah. It's incredible. Yeah, yeah I'm very jealous. <laughs> yeah. It will be back. Yeah. Tomas. Yeah, hi, hi Matt. Uh, so my name is Tomas. I am from Argentina. I actually live in Ushuaia, so the place where we set uh, our way to Antarctica. And uh, I moved there uh, for finishing my PhD in 2018. And I finished it a couple of uh, years ago. I did my, my research on studying how some effects of the climate change uh, affect a particular place in Antarctica. Uh, so that's what I have been doing the last almost seven years. Um, from time to time, I, I jump aboard uh, the Sea Spirit and I, and I guide. So I like uh, this uh, combination of uh, research and kind of 
uh, guiding, and I think that's a really uh, good, uh, yeah, good combination to 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 proceed in, in this uh, Antarctic season. So I hope you awesome. really like the the trip. Yeah, I will say one of the coolest parts about this trip for me has been the fact that everyone on the expedition team has a slightly different level of expertise in a different area. There's geologists, there's biologists, there's mountain guides, there's a photographer. I mean, it's a logistics expert. It's been incredible to be able to just tap into each of your areas of expertise and ask you questions as we move through the Antarctic Peninsula. So that's been really fantastic. So I'm just curious for each of you, why have you chosen to kind of dedicate so much of your time to this special place? And we can start with you, Flipper, since you've been doing it for 20 years, all the way dating back to Shackleton himself. Yes, so yes, told. I told Ernest not to head to the uh, to the south, but he didn't listen to me. I haven't been here that long, Matt. Um, <laughs> but for me, this is something that I fell into. Um, I, I won a lottery. I won a trip. I went on a trip to the Arctic that I didn't want to go on. And once I was there, it was kind of just super amazing. And uh, after I was uh, a guest and, and I helped on the ship, they asked me to, to work for them. So I was different than everybody else. Like, I wasn't a photographer. I wasn't a biologist. I was a businessman that, that just happened to fall into uh, something. And, and it, I joke about it, but I joke that, was I going to see polar bears or penguins? You know, I didn't really have an interest. But once I was there, then this was an amazing experience. And, and that was the August of maybe 2002, and uh, that December, then I, I headed to Antarctica and started uh, started on the ships as a, as a secondary thing to do in my life. And here I am 18 years later, and, and I, 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 Antarctica is for me. I really, really enjoy, um, just like I said before, the totally different, something you've never seen before. You know? Yeah, and I got the pleasure of being on some of the Zodiac rides with you as the, as the driver, and uh, it was really amazing to me hearing you talk about all of the different natural processes that are going on around us that obviously you didn't necessarily have that expertise before you came here, but it seems like it picked your curiosity and you've done a lot of homework. Yeah, so yeah, being here 18 years and <laughs> driving, you know, 20,000 Zodiac cruises, um, I, I, I'm, I'm really into taking the guest out to have a good time. I'm going to have a good time and you're coming with me. I'm not worried <laughs> about what we see because we're going to see something that's great because you're never going to see it anywhere else in the world. So That's awesome. What about for you, Pete? Um, I think what we are doing is that we realize dreams and as a photographer, I always will look for the best of the best. And I'm sure that when I'm happy, my guests, they must be blown away, right? Whatever I see, I've seen it already a couple of times, if not the hundreds of times. And for them, it's the first time, most likely, maybe second. But if I'm happy, I'm sure they are happy. And I will never forget, I, I live at 71 degrees north. I live in the high Arctic. I did a lot of guiding there, uh, land-based and at sea, uh, lead small expeditions, science. Um, and I hope your listeners can hear this, but I will never forget. I was sitting on the toilet. <laughs> I was in. I was. I was in an expedition. I was sitting on the, at the toilet, and you know how many clothes we wear and so on. And take some time. I'm sitting there scrolling through my phone, which is very limited amount of time you have when you have access to internet, and I get an email. Uh, last minute staff wanted for Antarctica. And I said, hell yeah, like, that's what I want, right? So I go into the email and I couldn't really believe this was true, that I was actually in there. And I look at the amount of people that were in the CC or in the, that, that were getting that email. There were like about a hundred people getting that same, same email and they were looking for two people. Uh, but as I had my phone, when it came in, I just applied, replied right away, like, yeah, I'm available. From the toilet. From the toilet <laughs> during an expedition in the Arctic. And I said, yeah, I'm in. But I didn't check the dates yet. 
cuff my relationship. But here I am, a year later. <laughs> Minor details. Yeah. No, but really, like when you want to go for it, you go for it, and it's such an incredible place. And it's either you love it or you hate it. Easy as that. And I think all of us, we do it with motivation, with passion, and that keeps us bringing them back. Love it. Yeah. I mean, we just got to watch this kind of finale slideshow video that you put together that was incredible. So I'm um, guessing that you actually have a lot of fun putting that together for each trip. You must. I mean, yeah. we do it from with passion, from our heart. And the moment you lose that, you need to step out of things. Because we are here for the people, we are here for them to show everything. And if you do it with without passion, without your enthusiasm, you're never going to give people the show or the, 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 the great time they deserve. Love it. And for you, Tomas? Well, my story with uh, Antarctica starts almost 12 years ago. So I'm young, but still, after six uh, months of becoming a biologist, or after finishing my, my bachelor's, I was uh, voluntarily guiding in the, in the museum, Ushuaia. Uh, a museum about uh, marine mammals and, and seabirds, and most of the guests, of the guests we, we guided there, uh, were coming from Antarctica. So they were, they were, uh, kind of uh, sharing all that, that knowledge and all that experiences with us that we were guiding and we were talking about marine mammals and seabirds that we have never seen because most of them uh, inhabited Antarctica. So most of the guests. Uh, told me that you should go to Antarctica, you should apply for this Antarctic cruises as a guide. So that's how I started, I got into that industry. And yeah, still I, I, I keep coming trip after, after trip, season after season. And it's, it's every time it's different. Although you, you know the place, although you, you know more or less the wildlife you're going to encounter, the behavior, the the environment, the, the, everything is different. Not only in the early in the season or in mid in season, but still, if you go to a, to a place, you will be really surprised. Even though you you keep coming and, and realize that you actually don't know that much of the place, and there's still some some room for for surprise. Now I know when we closed things out earlier today, we talked about how lucky everyone was in terms of, you know, seeing like four or five humpback whales together and, you know, the weather was incredible and we saw orcas and many seals. So, I mean, just be honest with me, like, how lucky did we have it? Was it, like, pretty exceptional? I think this trip was better than you could wish for. Really, <laughs> like, this is what we try to advertise with. Right. And this is our biggest struggle. Blue picture, yeah. blue sky, <laughs> nice reflection, no wind, yeah. A whale in the eyes, yeah. low light, sunset, fantastic. But this trip, it happened. And more than once, right? Like right. the majority, I think, I don't know to put it in perspective, but 80% of this trip, we have had blue skies, very little wind, reflection of icebergs, um, sunshine. We had sunshine and we had orcas swimming underneath the ship, following us, staying with us, interaction. You talk about four or five humbags. Well, we had minimum 15 humbags, bubble net feeding. The wildlife was fantastic. The weather was amazing. And we also had vertical snowstorms that we couldn't <laughs> see where we were going to go uh, without our GPSs. So, yeah, we had uh, two snowstorms, right, that were just yeah. crazy that lasted half an hour and disappeared yeah. and blue sky came. So... A little bit of everything. But another one you get is too is seasonal. So we have just come now with two or three meters of snow on the beach. And penguins waiting for the snow to melt so they can find their rocks and lay their eggs and start brooding their, their eggs for chicks. Um, if you come later in the season, then you now get to see chicks born on the nest, parents feeding them. And then if you come later, you see chicks going in the water for the first time, learning how to swim. They're all fuzzy and too floaty, they can't swim. So <laughs> there is a wide range here to see coming different times. To come back again now in, in March, you see a totally different different scenario. That makes sense. Yeah, and we got to see chicks as well. Yeah, and we were going north, yeah, we saw chicks, so yeah. we, we were lucky. 
Yeah, very lucky. Okay. Well, so, you know, I think there's a lot of mystery and mystique around surrounding Antarctica in general for, for most people. And I'm, I'm curious, uh, can you tell us what it make, what makes it so special from your unique perspective? And we can, we can start with you, Flipper. For me, it's penguins. Penguins. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so whales. <laughs> the whales here in, in the season, we, the whale interaction we had even in this trip early in the season was, was amazing to, to be sometimes in a zodiac, um, two or three meters from a whale that's looking at you, um, they, they, no, it's, it's, it's a totally unusual place. But the penguins, for me, I, I think, you know, we go to a beach and we say, oh, you can go here on the beach, you can go down here and see the penguins here. But the reality is if you just stayed in one place, you can see everything because those penguins are going everywhere. And and who's seen a penguin? I mean, it's in its natural habitat. And like I said, if you see them now feeding, you know, sitting on eggs and then feeding chicks and then chicks swimming... Uh, yeah, and it's fantastic. Yeah, it's amazing. What about for you, Pete? Well, of course, we all have different reasons why we come to places like this or why we like our job. Uh, but for me as a photographer, we learn to... Uh, we hide from animals. We try to be invisible and then maybe we get a good encounter with a wild animal. And then even... if when you're more lucky, you might gonna get a good photograph from that animal. Where Antarctica is probably the best example in the world, where it's it's a place if you don't touch, if you don't interfere too much, if you let nature do what nature does, and we come there as visitors and we behave, nature, the penguins, the whales, they will come after you. And they look for interaction. And of course we have rules and regulations in force to keep those animals, the wild animals safe and that, that we don't disturb them too much. But in reality, they come after us and they like to be with you. So for a photographer, it's mind blowing. To have, yeah, you know, you have witnessed <laughs> it firsthand now, right? To, to, to be able there without hiding yourself, without wearing camouflage nets, without whatever it is, you're there and you can observe natural behavior from a few meters away. Yeah, it's, and it's, it's that wild. makes it such a unique place. And I think that's where we all can learn a lot from. Uh, if we let nature go, it will organize itself. And yeah. we are visitors. We are guests in our environment. And that's what we should never forget when we visit places like this. Totally agree. Tomas? Yeah, for me, uh, I think that the uniqueness of Antarctica is that it is an isolated place. So you have, there are probably many isolated places in the earth that I have never been to. But I think Antarctica, and probably talking as a, as a scientist, is like a natural laboratory. So you can, you can go there and somehow experience what is really happening in, in nature. So although more and more tourism is, is coming south to Antarctica, more and more ships are, are coming south, uh, you can still feel that you are in a remote place, isolated. And I think that, that makes uh, the mystery and the mystique of, of Antarctica. I was surprised. I, I think it might have been you, Flipper, that was telling me that they were doing some research on one of the places we visited on this trip um, where they were researching the tourism impact on penguins. And one of the findings was that actually it was helping to keep the skuas away from the penguins, which are the birds that steal the eggs. And, um, and I'm, it's interesting that tourism isn't necessarily all bad. <laughs> so, so IATO is the, <laughs> is the tourist industry self-regulation. So, this is probably the only industry with tourism where they have really strict guidelines that we follow. We're, we're very proud to follow them. We, we don't let passengers do what they think they should do. Um, so, yeah, so the, the, some of the studies is at Port Lockroy, too, is that there's closed areas and they monitor the penguins and how many eggs they lay, how many chicks are, are, 
are viable. And yeah, where we are, uh, it's, it could be actually better than where we don't go because we are um, interfering with the predators of penguin eggs, penguin chicks, the skuas, the giant petrels. So um, if we do it properly, we don't interfere with the natural process of, of how they're, they're doing it. Um, I think right now we're seeing different things where um, we talk about um, climate change and we see it now this year again and we saw it last year where there's so much snow so much snow more than previous years and the penguins are now waiting for the snow to melt to find their their rocks and their nests and to 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 start brooding an egg and if it doesn't happen soon in some places we saw that the, the snow was more than one meter deep for them waiting and if this takes one month to melt then they won't too late. it's too late they won't you know they'll They'll lay an egg and they'll leave it on the snow, and then they won't do it anyway. And so, yeah. So, what I see now is is climate change is is more intrusive to the northern part of the peninsula, like where we visit is is a very small part of Antarctica. But mm-hmm. but uh, because there's so much more moisture and there seems to be meters of extra snow in the last two or three years that. Uh, this is going to affect them more than we are. It's funny because when we think about Antarctica, like Flippet says, or like how we call it the white continent, and we think about, okay, we need snow on Antarctica in order to keep Antarctica. But we often forget that it should be a very dry place. It's a desert. So the more snowfall, I mean, we are now in December. It's early December. Um, it's high summer. It's midsummer. It should be dry. And the snow should slowly melt away and the penguins should be able to lay their egg like Flipper explains. But to go back to the tourism part, of our, when we visit a place like this, the great part or the great thing of tourism is, is that it also brought a lot of rules and protection in order to keep this place as it is today. So yeah, we visit with ships and yes, we do bring 80 guests, 100 guests on shore. Uh, but as Flipper said, IATO is there with very strict regulations and we are proud to follow them and to teach you as guests about them and all of you behave fantastic because I think our job is, is to explain you why we do this and as soon as we can tell you that and the majority... And you believe in what you we believe, believe in. Yeah. yeah. And that means that every year, I'm not sure about the tourist numbers, but it's increasing, like Thomas said. And, okay, it's rapidly increasing some some places, but all those people, they become Antarctic ambassadors. And hopefully, I mean, that's when we do our job right, they come home and they can spread the message by, by sharing photos or their experiences and keep talking about it. Maybe they turn the heater degree down back home. And they will realize, hey, what we're doing might affect the penguins we like so much. And fishery that gets banned from places in order to protect feeding grounds from whales or penguins. All this is due to tourism somehow. I mean, tourism brings in a lot of money on places in the world where otherwise it will be exploited. So not everything is always particularly negative when it comes to tourism, I would say. Now, Tomas, I know you've done some research on climate change's impact here in Antarctica, and I'm curious kind of what some of the findings or some of the things that you're learning about um, in your work and how that affects what we're seeing. Yeah, well, part of my study was to to try to model the effect of, uh, of uh, salinity, of salinity variation in those coastal areas, those glacial retreats. There's some fresh water coming into the, into the coastal areas. So we were trying to model that process and how that process uh, affects the plankton community. So in Antarctica and in every other ocean in the world, South Ocean particularly, uh, plankton is very important. So krill, for example, that is like the food, it's like the main food for, for the whole Antarctic ecosystem, is part of the plankton community. 
So we were trying to, to model that process in order to understand it better or to predict those coastal areas what is going to happen when glacier is, is melting. And that is the process, the, 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 the retreat and the, and the melt of the glacier is something that is happening in the whole Antarctic Peninsula, mainly in the west side of the Antarctic Peninsula. So we were trying to, to, to dig more onto, onto that uh, aspect. And then we also uh, study the, the interactions, the, the, the trophic interactions, so the interactions that happen between predators and prey, for example, between the humpback whales we have seen during this trip and the krill or the food they are eating, the penguins and the krill, uh, the leopard seal and the penguins. So we were trying to, we actually built uh, what's called a food web. So a food web is like a network of, of predator and prey interactions and we realized that at that specific place that we were studying it, uh, the complexity of the food web was really uh, big. So lots of species and lots of interactions happening. So, yeah, we know that krill is a really important food uh, source in Antarctica, but krill is also connected with other species. So what happens to krill will not also, will not only affect whales directly, but some other species in an indirect way. So we kind of look and, and, and understand better that the complexity is, is an aspect that we need to consider when we are talking about climate change and how that is going to affect a particular species or the whole, or the whole uh, community. And in terms of the salinity of the water, I'm guessing as more fresh water enters the ocean, the salinity decreases, and then that has a negative effect on Yeah, that, that has an, an effect on principally uh, what's called phytoplankton. So phytoplankton are like the plants in the water that capture the, the, the energy of the, of the sun, mm -hmm. and then that energy is converted to carbon that flows through the rest of the species, and that is the, the let's say, the currency that supports the, any ecosystem, so any, any ecosystem structure. And so we, we realized that the, the cell size of the phytoplankton were becoming smaller. So smaller species of phytoplankton were uh, better adapted to that kind of uh, change in the salinity. And then you have uh, less uh, energy flowing because the, the, the smaller the, the phytoplankton cells, the less capacity they have to capture energy from the sun and then transform it into energy that is, is uh, flowing through the, through the rest of the species. So there is a change from the, from the low levels of the, of the food chain in Antarctica. That will for sure impact the rest of the, of the species. Gotcha. Well, so we're recording this on a trip to Antarctica like we discussed with a large group of photographers. And I'm curious, what do you think uh, photographers could benefit from studying more about your field of study, for example, in order to transform their photographs or to help tell the story of Antarctica? Just thinking about an example, one of the main uh, effects of glacier retreat is not only the intrusion of fresh water, but also the intrusion of sediments. So you have more sediments in the water column, have less light penetrating the... the seabed and in the seabed you also have uh, primary producers like macroalgae so big uh, big algae like for example kelp forest uh, so that's uh, an example of macroalgae so just thinking about that the way of, of uh, looking at that is to probably take a picture of how the, the glacier is retreating or an underwater picture showing the turbidity of the, the water column and the different reflections of of the light, yeah, thinking about the, the glacier fronts and how they have been retreated or the or the irregularity of the the let's say like the, the, the glacier. So that means that it is a really active glacier and that we have a, a massive retreat in the future. So I think there are several things that if you know more or less what is happening, the dynamics of the of the system, can frame your your picture into those aspects. Tell tell a story. Yeah, 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 course, yeah. yeah. So, <clears throat> Tomas, does not the longevity of the sea ice increase the algae growth? 
the algae grows on the bottom of the sea ice. Yeah. So, so the sooner the sea ice melts, the less algae there is. Yeah, there is a, a special group of algae that is called snow algae that needs a good uh, quality and a good extension of sea ice. So and, and another say, effect of the climate change is the is the the retreat of sea ice in early early moments of the year. So if you don't have a good, a good sea extension, you, you won't have a good, let's say, community of snow algae. And snow algae is also a very important food for uh, juveniles of krill. So the krill has a really complex life cycle. And the juvenile, let's say, stages of the life cycle depends really heavily on snow algae that is living underneath the sea ice. So this is everything is connected. So if you have less sea ice, you have less food for krill, less krill, less whales, less right. penguins. Less food for everyone. Yeah. 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 I think as photographers or as visitors to a place like this, um, but especially photographers, we it's our job to capture the beauty um, of a place like this that not many people get to go to. And photographs can be so strong it doesn't always need to be pretty, right? Uh, the true story can be told, and um, it shows very well in the documentary. For example, we show right BBC Blue Planet, whatever Frozen Planet. It's very shocking. It's dramatic when you see Sir David Edinburgh walking in front of one of the glaciers in South Georgia. Um, forty years ago. Yeah, yeah, forty years ago, it retreated over five hundred meter, and when you stand in front of a glacier and you tell people, okay, so this glacier was 500 meters over where we are now, it does a lot. But when you show photos, when you see it, when you photograph it, when you capture it, it does a lot. It, it, it speaks to imagination. And next to that, photography should be a tool. Uh, more and more, I think the science, they have huge profit from it. We tourists, we get everywhere now. The ships they spread in larger areas discover new places, um, citizen science, that's something that we really stimulate on the ship. 70 photographers we had on board for the last 10 days. We have seen a lot of whales. Keep photographing those tails. Keep sending them to all the science platforms. Yeah, happy, happy whale. Happy whale, definitely. It's a great, great platform where you can submit your photos and it, they will recognize the the flukes of the humbacks or the saddle patches and dorsal fins of the orcas and we can follow animals um, it all all around the world those days things pop up um, by set by using satellite images we have citizen science during covid a lot of people they did walrus counts on the north pole in the russian arctic they photographed by satellite images they they send them to people at home and they all were counting 100 meter rock hole outs with walruses and we did count uh, the population and we're going to continue with this. The same we do with penguins at the moment in Antarctica. Um, so again, in that way, tourism, but also development of technology, photography, images, satellites, whatever we have available these days, we can use in such great way if we use it in the best possible way. Um, yeah, it's fantastic to see things like this developing. Really I'm, cool. I'm specifically curious for you, Pete, uh, having spent more time here, how have you seen your photography transform through your journey in the, hmm. in the Arctic and Antarctica? I came here for the first time with a 600 millimeter, and I was disappointed, like a long lens. <laughs> and I was disappointed that I didn't have that financial sources, so to say, to buy an 800 millimeter. It had to be bigger. Whatever. I, I thought, like, everything had to be captured from very close and you had to look at the details, which is an amazing thing. But as I already mentioned earlier, like, if you give, if you take your time, the animals will approach you. And, yes, with a big lens, you obviously will capture little details. But, I think the beauty of this place is, is that you can actually capture a wild animal in the landscape, in its natural environment. 
and something we haven't talked much about yet it's antarctica everything is big the mountains are high the ocean is blue the icebergs are big and you want to capture it all unfortunately there's no such way i think uh, i haven't figured it out yet but yeah i went from long long lenses to wider and wider and i want more and but it's fantastic just to capture an animal in its natural behavior, at its natural environment, and being a guest of it. Yeah, I really changed my entire photography, basically. Totally. Antarctica is a very biologically diverse place. Uh, how can we keep it pristine as visitors? How can we keep it as is? Tomas? Uh, yeah, you're right. It is a very diverse uh, place and it is as diverse as the as a tropical ecosystem and that is something that it's not that uh, that old so we uh, we know nowadays that Antarctica is as diverse as the tropical or an ecosystem the like the seabed of Antarctica can be as diverse as uh, coral reef um, and I think one of the best uh, things we can do to keep it pristine is to to keep invasive species away from Antarctica. So Antarctica is still an isolated place in terms of uh, water temperature, in terms of climate in general. Uh, but still nowadays, with climate change and the global warming particularly, that barrier that is the polar front or the Antarctic Circumpolar Current is not that strong. As it is, as it was, used to be. So more and more invasive species are, or or could, be uh, adapted to the Antarctic environment nowadays. So I think that is one of the main threats. Uh, and I think as visitors we can do a, a good job keeping the Antarctic as pristine. Those terms, the terms. Okay, this is the Antarctic community, and we want to, we want to keep it. This way, we don't want to bring uh, species from other parts of the of the ocean into into Antarctica. Yeah, I was impressed. One of the ways you guys do that here is, you know, I'm sure it's an iota of a iato, iato thing, but the biosecurity protocols in terms of like going through everyone's stuff and making sure you don't have rogue seeds in your clothing and. Every trip and every landing, we have to, you know, decontaminate all of our boots and our belongings before we can get back on board. So I've been here long enough that I was through that change of where they decided that they needed to do biosecurity. So in the beginning, we didn't do this, but I was part of a program where IATO sent us vacuum cleaners. And we did exactly what we were doing here, but we actually vacuumed everything. So... You don't have to use a vacuum to decontaminate. You can pick off seeds. But we were to vacuum everything. Uh, we were very lucky. We got to keep their nice vacuums. But we had to send them the bags that we that we we had after uh, one or two trips. We sent them the bags. And then they analyzed these bags and realized how many different kinds of seeds were on the gear going to shore. So this is when now things change. So that IATO is the tourist industry self-regulation. So as a tourist industry, we made this decision that we needed to do biosecurity to stop these invasive species from coming. So it, it's, it's, really, it's really a great thing to be part of because we really care. And uh, it can be very difficult for us with guests that don't care. Um, this group, everybody cared. Everybody was over the top to care about everything we did. But sometimes it's not like that. Sometimes we get people, um, I, I have had people to get a better picture of a seal, they'd thrown a rock at it to, to wake it up and to oh, yeah. get it awake. So everybody comes here for different reasons, but but we're here to manage that and, and to, to take care of it. But, but uh, as, a, as an industry, I'm very happy to, to be a part of it. Pete? Yeah, your question was uh, how we can keep the place as pristine as possible. And obviously now we talk about our impact and being here and visiting the place. Uh, but for all the listeners back home as well, if you don't get the chance to come here and keep the invasive species away by not visiting it, which is already yeah, helping it, uh, don't forget that also back home you can help keep a new place as pristine as possible. 
it is a global thing. It we need to change the things from our home, from the place where we live, in order to keep this place pristine. If we're gonna bring ten seats next year, introduce seats or new species to Antarctica by visiting, that's one thing. But if we change the ocean currents, as Thomas was talking about, if we change weather systems, if we have increased snowfall, if we have high water temperatures due to globalization of global weather systems changing, we're going to have much more than 10 new species coming that we cannot regulate, right? And we should not, I mean, we all read the newspapers, we all know what is going on around the world. Um, but when you see it with your own eyes, like you have seen today, I hope that you go home tomorrow, wherever that is, and that you're going to spread that message. Absolutely. I mean, let's let's just dive into that particular conundrum, right? So some of my listeners might already be screaming this at the top of their lungs while listening, but, you know, traveling here to Antarctica, I mean, it requires a lot of fuel and a lot of resources, right? Um, so how can, how can we balance and reconcile our collective carbon footprint, which is required to visit this amazing place? Don't, don't all dive in at once. (laughs) I'm a tree hugger. (laughs) I've planted thousands of trees on different properties I own. So I think I've done my part, but how do you, as a world, how do you, how are we going to get everybody even to do a little bit. It's a little bit. It's right. Collective, collective little impact. Bit. Collective yeah, impact. Yeah, collective impact. It's a little bit. Plant a tree. Don't cut down a tree. Don't drive your car. Walk to the supermarket. So how how do we how do we get to, to this point? I don't know. Of course, I brought it up, and it is a very difficult thing. I'm 27 years old. Uh, I've been traveling. I travel more than most others on the world. Uh, I use a lot. I leave a massive footprint which I'm very much aware of. But as Flipper says, we all need to moderate our behavior on the planet, I believe. And we are growing, world populations are growing. We all know it, we are all aware of it, we all read about it. But what do we really change? Um, It doesn't need to be big. It really doesn't need to be big. It can be anything. It starts, it starts with something. It starts starts with with small things. And if all of us, participate in something small we can make big differences really because the place is good as it is for now it's fine you need to slow things down and we can yeah i think a a good way to to do that apart from the practical things of using less your car or or all that stuff i think that uh communication communicating the what is happening and, and the, the actual footprint that you you led by traveling to Antarctica and how Antarctica is changing. And I think that that popularization of, of the science is also a good a good, uh, a good thing to do and, and realize the, the problem is also a good thing to do because I think most of us uh, or some of us, some of the guests that actually travel a lot might not be aware so so I think communicating what is the real problem is also a good part of uh, keep talking of, yeah having an action and uh, doing something for spreading the word education yeah. it That's, all helps new generations I think governments are a big part of it That's governments are coming in and they're making plans and countries and, and uh, uh, supporting green incentives uh, this is the only way you can do it and don't forget that also the tourist industry here we go again like sounds like i get paid for promoting <laughs> tourist industry right but i'm not <laughs> um but also the industry is changing like the high arctic gets more visited than antarctica the season is a bit longer it's easier accessible the weather is whatever so it's a bit more in the arctic it's bigger or it's a different area um but within the next few years all the ships running on 
dirty fuel, how do you call this in English? The, the gasoline, the, the heavy, heavy... Yeah, the heavy diesel. The heavy well, diesel. In Antarctica, there's no heavy. Exactly. Everything in Antarctica now is light. So, so it all, it, things are changing. Was it 20 years ago like that? It was heavy diesel, yes. Exactly. So heavy bunker crew. But now we have one ship that runs on natural... Um, That's what I tried to hybrid, say. Hybrid, liquid, natural Things gas. are changing. And yeah. Yeah, we have IATO in the south regulating Antarctica. We have an organization called EACO in the north, basically the same, just on the other side of the planet. Um, and yeah, a lot of ships get banned to operate in those areas at the moment. So companies, they start to develop uh, hybrid ships, uh, electric ships, uh, uh, the day trip, it's uh, day trip activities, they become 100% electrical. There is a change, there is a move coming just takes time and as long as we give ourselves the time but keep developing as fast as we can I see it uh, I see a bright future definitely we are smart enough we can do things so IATO is a vo- is it voluntary yeah. like so my understanding is that I this is what somebody told me so you can tell me if I'm wrong because it's just what I heard but I heard that uh, China's building like huge cruise ships to send people down here and they're not gonna follow IATO guidelines. Have you heard anything about that? I, I have not heard this. Sorry, yeah. me neither. So I feel like that, that could be problematic, potentially. But, so we have another question is who are going to be the guides? Because we take it very seriously. Um, if we had a, if I worked for a company that the, 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 the expedition leader and the team didn't care about it and People were hugging penguins and, and doing nothing that that made sense. Then I wouldn't work there. You don't want to work for. So them. where are you going to get the guides if you if you ran up? We're all we all love what we do, and, and it's part of what we do is taking care of it and and leaving it the way we found it. So I think you wouldn't have real guides. But I haven't heard of, of this. I haven't heard of somebody building ships. Yeah, but they still, if there is any ship or any guy who something that's out of the rule, you can write a report. So you as the guy can. But uh, what is Antarctica? You can write a report. But what is the what is the repercussion to a, a ship coming and doing whatever they want, or just to know <laughs> where the ship is? Now, if I mean, actually, yeah, Have if a, your country is part of the IATO, then. Yes, you are liable in your country for any laws you break here. But if you say it's yeah. China, like it could be any country. Um, so if you come here, you are liable by your country's laws of, of Antarctica. And there's a treaty that kind of binds yes. all of that here. So the Antarctic Treaty has adopted IATO regulations into the Antarctic Treaty because they feel what we're doing is... As a tourist industry is very good and protective and, and equal for everybody. And, uh, but yeah, so what what happens if you come with a thousand passenger ship and unload a thousand people on on a beach somewhere? With right, um, I, I don't know. I haven't heard of that. So right, but it makes sense. I mean, I think what you're kind of talking about too is, you know, I'm not sure that guests necessarily want to have that reputation follow them in terms of we're on it we're sitting with 80 passengers right now right and you can load 100 passengers onto shore and 80 is even better Uh, the less people the better the experience is much better if you come with a 500 passenger ship you you can't land you know if you can land 100 um, you, you can't do it you can't be there all day so the whole idea is you know 200 is kind of the maximum and, uh, and you get half the time on shore as if you would on our ship. So I don't see it as being... But if, if you totally disregarded all the regulations of IATO or anybody here, I guess you could. But what would the experience be? Right, it would be greatly diminished, yeah. certainly. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, so I guess the worry is that you know Antarctica becomes Disney World. And right. people just come to, to see, 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 and not to care and... Uh, have a feeling for what they just saw. I would say that was 
one of my biggest surprises, positive surprises of coming here was just how seriously uh, you guys all took the environmental aspect of visiting this place. Um, you know, I think a lot of tourism companies out west in the United States, it's, you know, they don't really care about that stuff because there's not like a governing body or anything like that. So I think that's one of the most positive things that I got out of this particular trip was seeing how you how much everyone here cares about keeping Antarctica as it is for future visitors. I think that's great. The, the funny part is, and I said it twice now, I believe, <laughs> the, whole, uh, the, the, the animals, okay, they come to us, they, inter- they look for interaction with people. But let's be honest, Greenland is a place with less people visiting uh, a year than Antarctica. Like, there are much less people living in Greenland. But why are there so few animals there? Because they get hunted by humans. They are naturally scared. I've been traveling a lot in Greenland, and yeah, there is wildlife around. Depends which coast or which area you go in. But there is wildlife. But the best example is Walbert in Greenland. A polar bear in Greenland will run away from you from two kilometers of distance. As soon as he can smell or see you, he will be gone. Where a polar bear in Svalbard is protected since 1979 or 72. And this is the other side you need to be aware of and careful with. But polar bears start to look for interaction, especially the younger animals with humans, because they lost their natural fear for humans. Where in Antarctica, we had the same uh, whaling, hunting, the animals slowly Seals. start to return. Yeah, sealing, whaling. Yeah. Um, we have had it all, but since we stopped and we really did give it a chance to recover, things come back and things can be better. And we can learn from it. Now we can study it, we can enjoy it. We'll have one more question for each of you. We can start with you, Tomas. Okay. Uh, what's one thing that you wish the world knew about Antarctica? Wow. <laughs> Just one thing. <laughs> Just one thing. Wow. Because uh, I knew well, nothing well, about it before I came here, so... Okay. I, I would say that, uh, at least for me, the, the, the thing that I would like people to, to be aware about Antarctica uh, is the, yeah, the wildlife encounters that you can, you can have. Yeah. And as it said, after this so many years of whaling and sealing, I think that probably Antarctica is giving us a second chance, or, or at least we have that second chance of, uh, of uh, keeping that uh, ecosystem pristine. Uh, so I think that I would, I would tell people the history about Antarctica and, and how it is nowadays. I would stay in my mind with, with that second chance that we are, as, as another species in the world, as human, we are having with this uh, extraordinary place. Love it. Pete? I've been traveling quite a lot in different continents, different countries around the world, looking for a place where it's quiet, 100% silent. Um, and I was sure when I was going down south for the first time, like if there is one place where it's going to be quiet, it must be Antarctica, right? I mean, <laughs> it's the only continent without people, there's no cars, there's nothing. So how can there be sound? Even on a day when there's zero wind, zero nuts of wind, the ice keeps popping. Right. And that is something that I never forgot uh, after my first visit. It's not silent, it's noisy. If you turn on the engine of the Zodiac, you're all by yourself, there's no wind, it's noisy, the ice is super noisy. Right. That is something, yeah, I could never forget. Yeah, nice. The remoteness, the fact that you need to be on a ship, this is a, a place you cannot go on your own. You can drive to the Grand Canyon, you can drive to Alaska, you can drive for three or five days, but here you need to come on a ship and you need to cross that barrier that's separating Antarctica from the world, you know, two days of Southern Ocean that can be a Drake Lake or the 
Drake shake you can have, you know, <laughs> I have been, you know, in 22 meter waves going the wrong direction because that's the only thing we can do. Um, and it, we didn't have that on this trip and it was great, but it actually is really great to have it as well. You don't want to wish for it, but it's great to be able to, 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 I don't know, is it a sacrifice to, to get there? And once you're there, you're, you're aware maybe 40, 50,000 people come a year and to see something so different and to experience it. And then you have to, you have to think that the, the part we see is so tiny compared to the whole continent. The, you know, the continent is twice the size of USA. And we go to a very, very small little baby finger tip that, that we go to that's accessible. And really, after that, there's not much accessible after that. It, there's, it's just ice and, and, and face, ice faces. And so the, the inaccessibility to get here, to see it, is, is part that really makes it special. Awesome. Well, if people are interested in, in visiting, what, how can they learn more about uh, coming here? I guess as a photographer, you want to check out Munch Workshops, but if maybe you're not a photographer and you just want to check it out, how can they join one of your, one of your trips? It, it's changed now. I've, so if I've been here 20 years, it was something that you really had to look for and find 20 years ago to do a trip. And now I think you can go through almost a travel brochure and look at Mexico, Cancun, oh, Antarctica. So I, I think it's I think it's very accessible now. Uh, but it, it's it's a long ways to come. Just getting to the southern, most southern point in the world, um, to be able to get on a ship to go to the most southern southern point in the world is not the easiest thing to do either. It's, no, it's, it's a, not. It's, it's, yeah, you know, it's a two day travel to get as far south as you need to get. Um, but I think to buy the trips now, I think it's, there's a, there's, there's a lot out there. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I think I never, uh, booked a trip <laughs> yeah, <laughs> luckily, we, to Antarctica, but yeah, I, I know that you can just do it by sitting, you know, so far comfortably. Yeah, I was trying to home. let you guys promote no, Poseidon no, Expedition. No, but we, but I think, so yes. You want to go on a small ship. You want to go on a ship with 100 people. You don't want to be on a 200-passenger ship. Ah, that's not true either. I've worked on a 200-passenger ship. And but this is, an, this is a great experience. This is, it's a different experience. But yeah. not everybody wants what everybody wants. And, you know, you guys are all photographers. And I'm the one in my Zodiac driving and telling the people, put your camera away for a moment. <laughs> just look at They're it. They're like, boo. but just look at it and just you know we can be in the zodiac in the middle of some glaciers and shut the motor off and listen to the ice like pete says and just sit there and it's amazing and stop taking pictures and just listen because you're never going to be in that never going to be in that situation again it's amazing well make sure if you come down south if you make this journey the two days drake shake drake lake that you pick a trip that suits you because it's really for us as staff there's nothing more difficult to handle when you have guests that might like very comfortable luxurious they want three different restaurants to choose out on ships it does exist eh? you can go for italian chinese or uh, french french cuisine um with a swimming pool with a cinema and evening entertainment dancing whatever it exists it's it's out there if that's your thing Go for it, but then don't go on a small expedition ship where everything is a kind of hull falling apart, but in a kind of oh, a cool way, nice. and you might <laughs> might feel a bit like Shackleton himself one day, <laughs> or whatever. But well, there are ships out there that are yeah. falling apart. Yeah, no, you're so, right. but, but that is also something that people not this might one. like. Not, not this, this one. one, but some people like it that way. And whatever you do, make sure you book the right trip because if you just come here and yeah, I've seen the penguins now. I'm good. Or I see it also from the ship, so I'm fine, that's okay. But if you go on a ship with two or three excursions a day and you're out in the Zodiac where the expedition leader doesn't care about if it's raining or snowing or if it's splashing or whatever, no, we go, it's an expedition, then you might have booked the wrong trip. So that is very important. That's good. Yeah, that's, good. that's a good point. Yeah. Do your search. Well, I think we did it right. You did, Sundas. 
Well, thank you guys. This has been really fun. And again, I thank you for the, the great t- hospitality and the amazing adventures that we got to experience this week. So yeah, thank you again. Thanks, awesome. man. Thanks, Thanks man. Thank you, man. Awesome. Well, thank you to the Poseidon Expedition team for taking the time to chat with me aboard the Sea Spirit from Antarctica, and thanks to the Munch Workshops team for the incredible experience. I highly recommend this particular combination of professional photography instruction and expert naturalist know-how for a trip to the South Pole. I think it offers the curious photographer an opportunity like no other. If you're looking for this sort of combination for a trip of a lifetime, I'd highly suggest joining Munch for one of their 2023 trips to Antarctica. The first trip is to the Falklands, South Georgia Islands, and Antarctica from November 18th through December 8th and offers opportunities to photograph king, macaroni, gentoo, and chinstrap penguins with an incredible landscape as your backdrop. You'll be joined by five photography professionals and three naturalists to round out your experience. The second trip that they offer, which will be aboard the Sea Spirit with the Poseidon team, will be from November 29th through December 10th, where you will see humpback whales, lots of penguins, seals, and one of the most majestic landscapes on earth. I was personally blown away at the scale of the mountains there, and I'm a mountain guy from Colorado, so... You can learn more about these amazing opportunities at munchworkshops.com or by visiting the links that I provided to you in the show notes. Also note, there is a $1,000 discount if you sign up before January 31st, 2023, so act quickly. These trips sell out quite fast. Again, you can visit munchworkshops.com and you can mention that you heard about it on the F-Stop Collaborate and Listen podcast. Okay, that is all for now. Thanks for stopping in, collaborating with us, and listening. See you next week.